0: I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with John W. Kane, from the University of Richmond, and we're talking about the connections between math and understanding the heart. John, uh, heart disease is, is, of course, a huge concern. It's the number one cause of death in the U.S. What can math do to help understand the heart or disease or maybe even reduce the number of deaths?
1: Well... There are several different aspects of cardiac dynamics in which mathematical modeling and mathematical and quantitative description can really help out. And one example would be using mathematical and statistical procedures to analyze heart rhythm, where you're literally focused on time series of, of interbeat intervals or the intervals between certain features of a of an EKG. Um, such as the the big you know, spike that most people would associate with an EKG would be the QRS complex of the wave where you have this sort of very dramatic looking response. Intervals between those QRS complexes and other different features convey a lot of information about underlying rhythm. And so by using mathematical or statistical techniques, the hope would be that you could, by simply analyzing a time series, You might be able to do things such as automated diagnosis or risk assessment and spotting subtle patterns that you might not have seen if you were just kind of eyeballing a trace that was feeding out of a machine. So that would be one example of where mathematical techniques would come into play. And one of the things that got mathematical cardiology and electrophysiology on the map stemmed from some work that Hodgkin and Huxley did by examining electrical activity and nerve tissue. Some of their theory and some of the formalism they introduced carries over to cardiac dynamics, where people use systems of differential equations and numerical methods for solving those differential equations to actually explore the electrical and mechanical coupling in the heart, where electrical waves that propagate elicit an actual mechanical response, and, of course, the mechanical pumping of blood It's what the heart's there for. And so by understanding quantitatively how the electromechanical coupling comes into play, you know, the hope would be to understand the onset of abnormal rhythms and to try to figure out mechanisms for how those rhythms start and how we might actually go about trying to correct those sorts of things.
0: The idea is that the information's there, but so far it's not obvious.
1: Exactly. Um, sometimes the mathematics, you know, the hope would be to, to use it to spot subtle pathologies. Of course, a trained cardiologist is going to be able to spot a lot of them, but there might be certain things that, you know, the mathematics and statistical methods would be able to illuminate that might not be entirely obvious to the naked eye.
0: And in the article that you wrote for the notices, for at least a couple of the problems, you mentioned there's, there's a trade-off between, you know, getting all the data and then being able to manage that data
1: absolutely and and of course, this is a balancing act that virtually any applied mathematician especially is going to be accustomed to dealing with because there's a trade off between how realistic you try to make your model and how amenable to mathematical analysis your model would be, and you really have to prioritize what information you need to really capture with a model of any sort of cardiac phenomenon. So usually, you can think of this as being the number of differential equations involved in a model or the number of parameters involved is gonna be strongly linked to just how detailed you try it to be. And so maybe for certain phenomena, you might not need to worry about the dynamics of the sodium-potassium exchanger, you know, and, and get into the really finer physiological points of, of what's going on in the cell membrane. And then for some phenomena, you actually would need to include that. And if you want to try to come up with general ideas about the sorts of behavior you would expect in certain parameter regimes, the level of the tail of the model is going to be very intimately linked to just how difficult it is to analyze the equations.
0: How did you get interested in this field?
1: I actually, (laughs) I didn't have much interest in biological or medical applications when I first began graduate school. In my very first semester, when I was a graduate student at Duke, the person I was taking differential equations from, uh, Professor David Schaefer, was teaching a differential equations class that was a nice mix of theory and, and application. And at some point in that course, the students were asked to do a fairly in-depth project, and they, they really spanned the a spectrum from very theoretical to very application-oriented mathematics. And the one that I happened to choose uh, involved simulating a stiff system of ordinary differential equations that arose in the context of modeling the cardiac action potential the actual driving electrical signals that sort of cause the mechanical contraction of the heart. I didn't really have much experience with numerical simulations or numerical methods at that time, but for some reason, that project really appealed to me, and as it happened, it also (laughs) appealed to the professor. Professor Schaefer was really starting to get interested in modeling certain aspects of cardiac dynamics. And... Um, So it just happened to be a really good match. It was good timing, I think, that I happened to see that project at a time when when he was interested in learning more about it, and I ended up becoming his graduate student.
0: That's John W. Cain, who's from the Department of Mathematics and Computer Science at the University of Richmond, and in part two, John will talk more about mathematics and the heart, and why the groundhog is his favorite animal.